of God was stirring in that tomb even now, just getting ready for sun up, for the true sun to rise. So the um, Easter baskets, you know how many of you grew up with Easter baskets? Anybody grew up with Easter baskets? Come on, that's not a lot of hands. Wow, I'm so sorry for you. Right? My mom rocked Easter baskets our whole life, even up until, we did ours when our kids were little, but we stopped some time ago. But even when we were into high school, my mom still got us Easter baskets. And, 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 and I remember one of my first Easter, bas- Easter baskets, that's where I realized that I love the licorice jelly beans. Anybody else like the licorice jelly beans? I know, I know. And the good thing about that is that nobody else likes them, and they're not even looking for a trade. They just want to get rid of them, right? So my sister and brother would just say, here, you can have all the licorice jelly beans. But the the thing that I remember the most about those Easter baskets was the feeling that I had in my heart as a child the night before that I would go to bed. Because we knew it was coming. Right? We've, we've grown up in this house where, where my mom, she you know, had these things packed away. They only came out once a year. And we knew when we woke up on Sunday morning that when we came into the kitchen that there was going to be something amazing at each one of our seats. We all had, you know, uh, at our kitchen table, every, we, everybody sat in the same seat all the time. We never, ever mixed it up, right? We, so we had our spot. So we knew there was going to be a basket at our seat that in and, and she would customize. As we got older, she knew what kind of favorite candies we like. And so every basket was customized. And, and then we would get back then. I don't, it's not that way anymore. But Russell Stover candy when I was a kid, that was the Mercedes Benz of candies, right? And so we got that once a year in one of these little four packs, you know? And, and, and that, we'd get some Russell Stover candy in our, in our Easter basket. And, and I remember as a little child going to bed that night with this feeling of expectation that was just overflowing out of my heart. I knew that my mom and my dad were going to do something amazing for me, and it was going to be there for me. With, I knew without fail. I knew with confidence that when I got up, that it was going to be there. And I can't think of a better word to talk about Easter weekend together as a church than this feeling of expectation. It's right at the center of the narrative of the Easter story that we're going to be looking at. Whenever people in the Bible were invited by God to join him atop a mountain, and that's where the Easter narrative ends up, is Jesus ascending into heaven. And that same emotion filled their heart, expectation. There is nothing sweeter than knowing God wants to speak to me. I hope that you came here tonight with that same feeling of expectation. And if you didn't, I hope you have it right now. I hope you're like a little kid that's out there right now on the Easter egg hunt hoping to find the great golden egg. Right? They have one golden egg that has all these extra prizes in it every year. Our, our oldest daughter, 10, she's going to be in middle school in the fall, so she's going to be leaving workshop and going into RC this fall. And, on, and so today she said, Dad, this is my last shot at the golden egg. <laughs> this is it. I got one more chance to find I've never found it, Dad, but I'm going to find it tonight. So if your kid comes back a little scraped up, it might be because our daughter pushed them down. <laughs> Getting to the golden egg. True confessions, true confessions, right? So, so I hope you came here tonight, and, and again, if you didn't, but that by now, that something of this emotion of expectation has welled up in your heart because God wants to speak to you. There's going to be some mountaintop moments that we're going to come to together tonight, and through this sermon, there's going to be opportunities for you to respond and stand and for us to pray with you, and in and, any one of those moments that you want to stand, do not let the fear of being conspicuous stand in your way, because I'm telling you, every time you stand, it's like you climb into the top of a mountain, and when God invites you to meet Him on a mountain, come on, expectations should well up in your heart, because He wants to speak to you. So Father, tonight as we dive into this Easter message that you have prepared for us, this this table that you have laid out before us tonight, God, let there be something stirring inside of each of us that can only have its beginning through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that we would know that you have something to say to every one of us. Not just the people around us, not the person that invited me, not just my parents who I come with, but for me. That every person in this room, that you have something to say to them. Jesus, as you said so many times when you walked upon this earth, he that hath an ear, let him hear. She that hath an ear, let her hear. 
Let us have the ears to hear what you would speak to us tonight. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke 24. I'm going to pick up in verse 36. I'm going to pick up in verse 36. We'll start there. And I'm going to read down to 53. All right, 24, 36. Right, let me start, I'm going to start in 35. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking bread. So Jesus has already risen from the dead and he's begun to appear to people. This actually happened on the very first day of Jesus' resurrection. So it's, it's Sunday. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. And they all looked like Vanessa did when she thought I was going to be doing something with us, right? And so, peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled. They were frightened. They were thinking that they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands and look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and he showed them his feet and still they stood there in disbelief filled with joy and wonder. Come on, you see there's a turning here from being afraid to be filled with joy and wonder. We can even put in their expectation. And he says to them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And as he ate it, they, they watched and they said, and then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds. This is right. He opened their minds. Come on, do that for us tonight, Jesus. Open our minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And you are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Now there's a time gap here in, in, in Luke's account. So right here, 40 days pass, 40 days pass, and in in, in much of the other Gospels in the book of Acts fills that 40 days. Then we get to 50. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven. Bethany is a town that's on the side of a mountain, the Mount of Olives. He blessed them, and while he was blessing them, listen to what it says, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So he's standing there in his resurrected body. He's, he's got a crowd, the Bible tells us, of more than 500 people that are there. And all of a sudden, Jesus begins to rise up into the air and ascend into heaven. Come on, that'd be an awesome service to be a part of. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy and they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. Whenever God invites us to join him atop a mountain, there should be great expectation in our hearts because he wants to speak to us there. He wants to do amazing things for us there. He wants to show us amazing things that are there and that's where we're going together tonight. That we're going to look through some mountaintop moments that happen throughout scripture. And as we look at the story, I believe that God is going to invite us to our own mountain in the midst of the narrative, in the midst of the story. And he's going to speak to different people in different ways. And it might be that he's going to speak to you through all of these mountains together tonight. So the first one that we're going to talk about is Sinai, Mount Sinai. It is the mountain, I believe, of invitation. There's a prophetic picture that we find in Mount Sinai. It's the mountain, the mountain of invitation. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn with me. We're going to start in Exodus 19. I'm going to read 3 through 6, 3 through 6. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Remember Jacob's name? <clears throat> All right, more water. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, which became the name of the nation. Give these instructions to the family of Jacob and announce it to the descendants of Israel. That's his name. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and you know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. 
Now, if you will obey me and keep my commandment, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message that you must give to the people of Israel. Now, we find three components or three parts to this mountain experience that the nation of Israel has. The first part, and this is one of the things I love about God, that, that He will give you His credentials. He's, he's doesn't come to us and say, you just got to do it because I told you to do it, right? He's a loving father. And so many times he comes to us and he begins to remind us of all the amazing things that he's done. He begins to talk about his credentials, about his power, about he's, he's ever-present, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. So many times throughout Scripture, you just find that, that it's like a resume that God is giving to us. He doesn't have to give us a resume, but he knows that we need it. In the weakness of our humanity, we need convincing. And God says, if that's what they need, I'm going to bring it time. Time and time and time again. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been in a season where God has been reminding you of how great he is. He's been reminding you of how awesome he is because he's trying to get to you to a place where you will trust in him. And in this text, we also see where he begins to make some promises to them. He's got promises that he's made to you. The difference between God and every other person on this earth is that he has the ability to keep every promise that he makes. He never exaggerates. He never overstates. He never overextends himself. And maybe some of you are here tonight and you're thinking, Fred, I, I've read some of the promises in the Bible. I'm just saying, how on earth could that be true for me? And it's because you're reading those promises through the filter of your human experience where other people have over-exaggerated, where other people have overcommitted. It might be through the filter of your own family experience, maybe which wasn't so great, and you had parents that were always making promises that they never kept. That's never the God we serve. He has credentials that you can trust. He has promises that you want to see fulfilled in your life. And the other thing I love about God, he does not understate the commitment that he expects of us. He says to them right here in the text, you, you've got to give me your whole heart. You've got to give me your whole life. He doesn't downplay what it's going to cost you. He doesn't downplay what he asks of you. He comes boldly about who he is, and then he comes boldly with what he is going to ask for us. It's, it's what the mountain of invitation feels like. I remember when I was 23 years old in that summer of 1990, I didn't make a vow of devotion to Christ until that December, but during that summer, I was at my mountain of invitation. God was revealing himself to me like never before. I began to read the Bible not because anybody was asking me to. I started in the book of John and just began to read for myself and began to discover his credentials, began to read about his promises. I remember getting to John 10.10 10, where he said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest possible measure, promise after promise after promise. But in that same gospel of John, you read where Jesus makes bold statements. If you're going to come after me, you've got to give it all up. I was at a, a mountain of invitation. Some of you, you're at a mountain of invitation tonight. It's time for you to trust in him and stop holding things back. It might have nothing to do with a vow of devotion to Christ. It might be that you made a decision to live for Jesus years ago, but, but you've compartmentalized your life and you've just got these pieces that you're withholding and God's saying, come on, now it's time to put it all on the table. Deuteronomy 30, beginning in verse 11. Deuteronomy 30. Listen to what he says. This command I am giving you today is not too difficult for you to understand. It's not difficult to understand because it's simple. It's not difficult to understand because of what Jesus said to the disciples as he was revealing himself to them that day of his resurrection is that he opens our minds to understand. It's not beyond your reach. It's not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask who will go up and bring it down so we can hear it and obey. It is not kept beyond the sea so far that you must ask who will cross the sea and bring it to us so that we can hear it and obey. No, this message is very close at hand. Come on, it's close to you tonight. It's on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. A mountain of invitation. Verse 19, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. You've got to make the choice. He's not going to make it for you. 
Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. That's a fill-in-the-blank text moment. Their promise was the promised land, but you have a promise and it's your destiny. And so God's saying to you, if that you would love the Lord and obey the Lord with all your heart, stop holding anything back. You will live long in your land, in your destiny that he's called and created you to have. So this is what I want to do in this moment. We're going to just keep coming to moments like this tonight throughout this message. It doesn't matter why you're here. See, that's one of the, 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 the fascinating things to me about the, the first mountain of invitation, Mount Sinai. There were lots of people there for lots of different reasons. There were children there because when they got up that day, their parents said, we're going to the mountain. I don't want to go to the mountain. Well, you're coming anyways. You might be here tonight and your parents said, we're coming to church. I don't want to go to church. They said, well, you're coming anyways, right? You might be here tonight because someone invited you, right? There were people, the, the Bible tells us that when, they, when the Israelites left Egypt, that the other people from other nations went with them. Other people said, let's go and be with these people. You, you might be here tonight because someone's in, in, invited you. You're just kind of along for the ride. This room is not too unlike that moment thousands of years before there are many different people in here from many different walks of life with many different stories, with many different pasts, and you're here for many different reasons. It does not matter how you came. What matters is that now here you are, just as it was thousands of years before. Everybody there, no matter how they got there, realized that they were in a moment of decision, that an invitation was being given to them to give all of their heart to the one true God. Doesn't matter why you're here, but you're going to, but what you're going to do with the invitation that is before you tonight, will you yield your life to God at this mountain, the mountain of your invitation? So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move back into the next mountain, but I'm just saying, as, as I'm praying, I'm telling some of you here tonight, you've been feeling it the whole time I've been talking about this one part. There's something in your heart that you're saying, I'm, I'm holding it back, and I want to stop holding it back. I want, I want to be all in with my creator. That's going to mean different things for different people, but I'm just saying, as I'm praying, if that's you, you just stand up. Your standing is your way of climbing the mountain, and God's going to speak to you in that place. Father, for every person that's about ready to stand here tonight, Father, I pray that whatever it is that they're holding back, that they would let it go. That, Father, even as we pray now, as people would stand up and say, this is, this is my declaration. This is my way of saying, God, I don't want to hold anything back from you. I want to be all in. I want everything that's on the inside to be on the outside at your feet. I want the destiny that you've called me to, that you've created me to live. I want to live in it fully. I don't want to live in it partially. And I don't want anything that I would put above you to stand in the way of my life anymore. And so I stand tonight to say, God, I'm all in. That here I am on the mountain, speak to me, change me, transform me, reach me, do with me as you will. As I go back down this mountain tonight, God, let me find my way into my future with a heart that is fully submitted and fully yielded to all that you are. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Come on, clap for that. It's good. All right, you see how it's going to flow tonight? We're going to, we're going to do a few of these. So we're going to talk about it, then we're going to have a time to respond, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to go to the next one. So this is Genesis 13. This is the mountain of declaration. Now, we're not given the name of this mountain, but we understand from the story that we're given that they're in an elevated place in order for what's described to us to have been fulfilled. So this is the mountain of declaration. It's the mountain of Genesis 13. So it was, it, was, it was a couple of years ago, we've been here at this campus of the Mosaic since December of 2008. 
And so we, we've tried to go get a building many times, right? And if you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, you know that we've been on that kind of journey time and time again, but God just kept us here, right? Deals that we thought were going to happen would fall through, and, and, and partnerships that we would try to create didn't work out, and, and, and we, just, we, we knew that just God had a will for our lives. So we said, God, we're just resigned to your will. And so it was a few years ago where this property actually came up for sale, and we all said as a leadership team, come on, this is it, Right? I mean, we've been here all this time. All those other things fell through because God's going to give us this. This is where we've been waiting. And so, but see, the challenge with that is that every church that put in a proposal felt that same thing. You with me, right? Every church feels that way. We are the favorite of God, right? Come on. But every church felt that way. And we just, it never crossed my mind that we weren't going to get it. We just knew that our proposal, right? God was going to shine a light on it and it was going to be ours. It was going to be ours but it wasn't ours. They accepted a different proposal. They accepted somebody else's offer. And I remember just the, the, the devastation I felt in my heart. I was like, God, come on. You, I, I thought you promised this to us. I, I, I thought that this is what you, you had for us. And then all of a sudden, right, you're, just, you're in a place where you're, you're confused. You, you feel like you knew what God wanted to do, but now you just feel like, I don't even know if I, how, how can I be sure anymore about what God, we, I mean, we, as a, we talked to you guys about it as a leadership team. I can't tell you how much we fasted and, and prayed and lingered. We were just, we knew it was going to be ours. And I was not a happy person. And then God spoke this word to me. He said, Fred, nobody can take from you what I intend to give you. Nobody can take from you what I intend to give you. And when he spoke that to me, I shared that with our team. It just, it lifted my heart because I just knew it wasn't supposed to be ours. And if it was supposed to be ours, then he would have given it to us because people cannot supersede the sovereignty of the creator. Genesis 13, 14 through 7. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, his name's not yet been changed to Abraham. After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, look as, as far as you can see in every direction, north, south, east, and west, I'm giving you all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession, and I will give you so many descendants like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. He does not have one child yet when God speaks this to him. Go and walk throughout the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. Now, lots of people believe lots of different things about this encounter, right? Abram goes up to the top of the mountain. He and Lot, they're, 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 they've, they've both grown there. They've prospered. Lot is his nephew, but all their herdsmen and their people are just, they're, they're too many people in too small of a place. And so they, they say, we've got to divide up. And so Abram takes Lot up to the top of the mountain. He says, you pick the, whatever you want. I'll just take what's left over. Now, some people believe that, that Abram did that because he thought that Lot was going to become his heir because this promise that God had given to him, maybe he felt like we felt there. Maybe I didn't hear God right. Right? Sometimes our circumstances begin to deny the promise that we thought we heard. And so some people believe that he takes Lot up there and he, he's thinking to himself, this is just right. I don't, I don't have any children. He's my nephew. He's going to become my heir. So you just go ahead and pick the choicest of lands. But I, I, don't, I don't think that's what happened. I think Abram went up there that day because he knew that all of this land belonged to him. And he was willing to give Lot the choice of whatever he wanted because he knew he couldn't even give it away, that God had promised it to him, and that even if he gave it to Lot, it was going to come right back to him. Because he was making a de declaration in his faith in the sovereignty of his God. He was willing to go so far to say, Lot, you, just, you can take whatever you want. Not in an arrogant way, not in a prideful way, but in a faith-filled way. He knew that the sovereignty of God would be fulfilled no matter what. It's powerful, isn't it? Because after he gives Lot the choice, Lot takes the best of the land, the choicest of the land, and as soon as Lot leaves, come on, God's, I, God is just smiling on his child. Whenever God invites us to a mountain, come on, expectations should well in our heart because there's good things that he wants to speak to us there. Listen to what he says to Abram. He's standing up there all by himself. You got to know, he's thinking to himself, I hope I didn't just make a mistake. You ever been in a place like that? I thought I knew. I thought I was sure. I, I hope I didn't just make a mistake. 
Some of you here tonight, you've given your heart to some promise that God has given you. It might be a promise about your child. It might be a promise about your spouse. It might be a promise about a family member or a work situation or a diagnosis that a doctor's given to you and you've put your faith in a promise that you feel like you've heard from God and even tonight you're saying, I hope I didn't make a mistake by trusting in him. And in that moment where Abram steps out in a place of faith, it's powerful. Just I don't think God can get there quick enough. He says, I'm giving all this land as far as you can see to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. Even after he gave it away, God's saying, don't ever stop believing in my sovereignty. When I make a promise to you, I'm going to keep it and it's going to be fulfilled. For some of you here tonight, you're, you're standing at a, a, a mountain of declaration. Your circumstances are not unlike Abram's. You have this promise that looks like it is an impossibility, and tonight is a night to reaffirm your faith in his sovereignty. Some of you came in tonight heavy. Some of you came in here, here tonight, and maybe you've been praying for something for a long time. It might be that you've been longing for something for a long time, maybe for decades, that you felt like God gave this promise to you and you're still in this place of saying, God, is it ever going to be fulfilled? And he orchestrated this night for you to bring you to a mountain, to bring you to a moment where he's going to give you the opportunity to say, God, I don't care what my circumstances look like. I don't care how impossible it seems. I don't care if it seems as though you promised to me that I'm going to be the father of nations and my descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth and the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky and, and I'm getting close to being 100 and I still don't have one child. I mean, that's some impossible circumstances right there. Impossible circumstances. God does some of his best work in impossible circumstances. Sometimes he asks us to wait because he just wants the story to be bigger. Sometimes he asks us to wait because he's increasing the capacity of our heart to feel expectation. He's teaching you how to let expectation get bigger and deeper because as impossible as maybe you think the promise that he's spoken to you today about, sometimes it's just because he's got bigger promises that you can't even conceive that he's getting you ready for. So I'm going to start praying, and if you're here tonight and you would say, I have a promise that I believe God gave to me, and I'm waiting for it to be fulfilled, this is going to be a moment for you to stand and say, I'm tonight declaring my faith in the sovereignty of God. Father, for every person here tonight, they came in here heavy-hearted. Just they, they came in here tonight with a wheelbarrow full of unfulfilled expectations. They, they came in here tonight driving a dump truck of promises that they've been collecting their entire life and they feel like it's never going to happen. It's never going to be fulfilled. Father, I pray for every person here right now that they're going to feel just like Abram. They're going to feel like they're standing on the mountain of Genesis 13 and that your presence would come in right now like a flood and just begin to speak to them. Re, re, redeclare the promise that you've made to them as they stand here tonight to redeclare their trust and their faith in your sovereignty. We pray that tonight, Father, that every person that's standing here right now, that they're going to leave this place the way that Abram left the mountain of Genesis 13, with a sense of confidence, knowing that you can do anything. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Amen. Come on, if you're going to clap, clap, right? <clears throat> All right, I got two more. All right, well, three more, but the last one doesn't count because it's the close. So <clears throat> that's what preachers tell themselves, so it doesn't count. Oh, I like this one. Gerizim and Abal. Mount Gerizim and Abal. The mount, thank you. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. The mountains of assignment. The mountains of assignment. There are times in our lives where God assigns us to a place and a thing and to people and we don't like it. And in that place, it's time for us to embrace the assignment that we've been given and trust that God doesn't make any mistakes. The mountain, the mountain of assignment. All right, Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy 11, 29 to 32. When the Lord your God brings you into the land and helps you take possession of it, you must pronounce the blessing at Mount Gerizim and the curse at Mount Ebal. 
Now, there's some commentary. It's a parenthetical clause in the New Living Translation. I don't know if it's said that way in your Bible, but it's a little commentary for us. It says, these two mountains are, are west to the Jordan River in the land of the Canaanites who live in the Jordan Valley near the town of Gilgal and, and not far from the Oaks of Moray. And, and for you are about to cross the Jordan River to take over the lands, all right? They've been wandering in the wilderness for over 40 years. Moses is about to die. Joshua's taking the leadership, and they're going to conquer Jericho and enter into the promised land. And it says, when you take that land, when you take it and are living in it, you must be careful to obey all the decrees and regulations I'm giving to you today. Now, let's move forward in time, right? Jericho has fallen. They've entered into the promised land. The, the same day that Moses also gave this charge to the people, when you cross the Jordan, the tribes are right, now, now now it's divided up. So they know that when they get there, they've got to divide the 12 tribes of Israel into, 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 into two groups of six. And some are going to be assigned to one mountain, and some are going to be assigned to the other mountain. And one mountain is the mountain of cursing, and the other is the mountain of blessing. When you cross the Jordan River, right, the tribes of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin must stand on Mount Gerizim to proclaim the blessing over the people. Everybody else is saying, really? Why, why can't I be on that mountain? Why do I have to be on the mountain of cursing? Why is it that every time that there's an assignment given that everybody else gets the assignment that I want? Right? Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, but stand on Mount Ebal to proclaim a curse. See, see, there's times in our lives where God comes to us and he says, I have an assignment for you. And we go, oh, come on, it's going to be good. And then he tells us and we go, I think that's for somebody else. <laughs> Woohoo! Right? The person that sits next to you at work that irritates the snot out of you and God says, hey, I have you here to reach that person. And you say, well, how about we give that job to somebody else and I can reach somebody else that's nicer? You might be a young person in here tonight and the conversation that you've had with God is, God, why couldn't I have been born into a different family? See, sometimes there's a weightiness to the assignment that we've been given. So, sometimes there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a part to our assignment that feels like it's unfair. Sometimes the assignment that God has for us feels like that he has forgotten us, that he's overlooked us, that he's treating us like the child that he did not want. Every assignment that comes from the hand of the Father is perfect in every way. Every assignment that we have been given, whether it's one that we like or do not like, he has that assignment for us for a reason, maybe that we'll never understand until we get to heaven, but he always has our best interest at heart. It might be that God's asking you to walk into a season of sacrifice. It might be that God is asking you to make a sacrifice and it feels as though he's not asking anybody else to make those kinds of sacrifices. Maybe you're here tonight and you've felt for some time now that God's calling you to give your life to full-time missions in some foreign country and you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to make those kinds of sacrifices. He has an assignment for all of us. Sometimes it feels as though we're of the six on the wrong mountain. Sometimes we feel like we're part of the six on the right mountain, but when Whenever he calls our name in the place that he assigns us to, it's for our good. You might be in a marriage right now, and it feels like you're the only one trying to make it work. And you're saying, God, I don't want this assignment. And God says to you, that's why I put you here, because you're the only one that's going to be able to reach him. You're the only one that's going to be able to capture her heart for me. Sometimes the assignment that he gives to us, it takes work. It takes effort. It, it, it takes laying down our lives for the sake of others, even when it seems it's not fair. Your family, your vocation, the giftings that you've been given. You might be here tonight and you know people have said it to you. You have a leadership calling on your life and you've said to God, I don't want the responsibility of leadership. But God says, no, I've called you to be a leader. You've got to be willing to carry the weight of the responsibility. It's not about a life of ease. It's about a life of building the kingdom. You might be here tonight and you, you know that God's just called you to serve, to come alongside other people. And, and you've thought, I, I, I would, I, why couldn't you have made me a leader? God makes us all perfect the way that he does. 
the way that he has shaped us, the way that he has gifted us, the way that he has formed us, it's, to, it's for an assignment that's just right for the one that he's created us to have. It might be the lifestyle that you're living, you're trying to tell God who you are, and he's saying back to you, that's not how I created you. We talked with the college and young professionals last night that something happens in our lives when we're willing to give God the final say. Something happens in our lives when we're willing to let his word be the ultimate authority in our lives. It might be tonight that maybe there are some abilities that he's given to you and you're just not putting them to work in the kingdom and he's saying it's time. It might be a, a musical instrument that you can play. It might be that, that you have this natural ability to be an organizer. It might be that what you do in your job is this incredible thing that he's gifted to you to that could be an incredible gift to whatever church you call home. But you say, well, I don't want to do here what I do there and what God says to you, but that's your assignment. That's your, that's your ability. That's what I've, I've created you to do. You, you might be here tonight, and, and, and you're in this conversation with God, like I think some of these tribes of Israel were, God, I want a different assignment. Something has got to turn in our heart where we go to the mountain that he's called us to. I believe some of you here tonight, because God wants you to accept the assignment that you've been given, to embrace his perfect will for your life. This one isn't a fun one, is it? You with me? The, the other ones are like, woohoo, fulfilled promises, and, and, and God's doing all these great things for me, and, and this one is, is, is right but like the scuffing of the hills. All right, I don't want them, but I'll do it if I have to. But God's saying that's the kind of attitude that needs to get chased out of our hearts. That what he's looking for us is, is for us to leap into the assignment that he's given to us, whether we want it or not. Does he give us permission to ask a question? Absolutely he does. Jesus himself did it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just before what makes this Easter weekend so incredible, Jesus himself knelt before the Father and said, if there is any way for this cup to pass from me. But in the end, he said, not my will, but yours be done. For, for some of you tonight, and we're, we're, we're about ready to pray, you're in the Garden of Gethsemane conversation. You know the assignment that he's given to you. It might be hard. It might feel unfair. But, but deep inside, you know that this cup is not supposed to pass. It's a cup that he's given you to drink, and you can't give it to anybody else, and it is for your good. And can I just say to you, when we step into the assignments that God gives to us, even if it requires great sacrifice, not only is it going to be good for us, but there is great good that goes to everyone else around us. Jesus took the assignment to go to the cross, to his death, but that death was the pathway to the restoration of his rightful place in the heavens, and in doing so, it paved a way for all of us to be there with him. Whenever there is a, a mountain of assignment that we don't want, I am telling you, those are going to be some of the greatest assignments that you could ever have, because the breakthroughs that it brings to you, and the breakthrough that it brings to everybody else around you. So, Father, I pray tonight for every person here who's on a mountain of assignment conversation with you. For every person in here tonight who's willing to have the courage to say, it's not fair, I don't like it. When I look around, it seems like everybody else is given an assignment that's better than me. I feel like you've forgotten me. I, I feel like that, that this, this assignment is just because of what's left over, God, that there would be a revelation in them tonight that there is nothing left over that's handed out. That everything that's given, every assignment that we're called, to. Every assignment that you put into our hand is because it's part of your sovereign destiny. There's a reason, God, that we've got to go to the mountain of a declaration of your sovereignty before we can go to the mountain of assignment, because if we don't trust in your sovereignty, we'll never embrace every assignment that you have for us. So for every person that's here standing tonight, I pray that they would find purpose in the assignment that you've given to them. I pray that, that there would be a, a renewed sense of faith inside of them to trust that you have a perfect plan for their life, that you are orchestrating circumstances in their life to put them just in the right place at the right time to be around the right people. And for those, God, that are in an assignment right now that involves the rescuing of their people, I would pray that you would give them a grace for those people. I pray that you would give them a compassion for those people. I pray that you would give them a patience for those people. And I pray that you would give them a prayer for those people. That they would be willing to carry the burden that you have placed upon them for the season that they're in, for the moment that you've called them to walk through. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said, amen. Amen. Carmel, the mountain of power. 
the mountain of power. See, these are the two words as a husband that you just don't want to hear. Upstairs toilet. All right, so it, was a, so it was a couple of weeks ago, Vanessa says, hey, you know the upstairs toilet's still clogged, right? I'm like, no, 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 no. So it was, it was the day before where the kids came and said, Dad, the, the toilet's clogged. Like, you don't know where the plunger is? We have a plunger. It's a stick with the thing at the bottom of it, right? You just, that's what you do. And, and they're like, Dad, you know the toilet's clogged, right? right? You know what they're saying. You're the dad. This is your assignment. So I said what every father usually says, well, let's just give it some time, see if it can work itself out. Because <laughs> we got other toilets in the house, right? You got to walk a little farther. So we go to bed that night, and all the next day, I'm fasting and praying. God, I need a breakthrough. Well, not me, but the toilet needs a breakthrough. Because somebody else had a breakthrough, and I think that's how we created the problem. So I get home from work that day, and we have dinner, and I'm kind of settling in downstairs. And, hey, Fred, you know the upstairs toilet's so clogged. I'm like, all right, all right. So I get the plunger, and I go up there, and I'm plunging and plunging and plunging, and I'm plunging some more. I kid you not, at least 20 minutes go by. I'm breaking a sweat now, <laughs> plunging and plunging. No, I mean, nothing. There's just no breakthrough. No breakthrough. So I say, you know, I got some tools, right? I'm almost 50. I've collected some stuff in my life. So I got the, I got the manual Roto-Rooter downstairs for moments like this, right? You, you get some slack out and you take that thing and shove it down the toilet and you got this handle you turn and that caused that metal thing to spin around and clear out whatever needs to be cleared out in there. And so I go down and get that with confidence and I'm getting it in there and, 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 I, and all of a sudden I have this revelation. The, 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 the depth of the bowl and the curvature of the turn, the, when I see when I stick the, the, this wire thing down in there. It's, it's not making the turn with the leverage that I have. And I have this epiphany. The only way it's going to get there is if I can help it get there by rolling up the sleeve and taking the next step. I know. Some of you, your gag reflex is kicking in. You should have been there. You should have been there. If you think it's uncomfortable for you to hear the story, you should have been there. Right. So in this, in this moment, I, I, kid, I kid you not, this is a true story. I'm not, no exaggeration. No exaggeration. In that moment, it's like I began to give myself a pep talk. Right? And this is what I said to myself. You just spent almost two weeks in Haiti building a bridge, suffering through some of the most difficult living conditions that you've ever been through. I've been to Africa, South America, Dominican Republic. This trip to Haiti, one of the things that makes it so incredible is that it's hard. But part of what makes it amazing is that it is hard. And it, it, it tests you. And if you want to go on that next trip to Haiti, you should see that guy right there. Raise your hand, Marvin, because we got another one coming up in July. So I say to myself, this is what I say, I kid you not. You did all that and now you're afraid of a toilet? Really? So I take the plunge. I'm in. Working it through, nothing. I got to take the toilet completely apart. I got to go downstairs, get the tools. This is my kid's bathroom. I don't know which one of them is responsible for this, but I'm still a little bit bitter. You can tell I'm working it up. <laughs> I got to take this whole thing completely apart, finally, right, to get the breakthrough that I'm trying to get. But that experience, thinking about Haiti kind of in a funny way, it, it, it got me thinking about some other experiences that I had on that trip that made me realize it's got to be a part of this message tonight. This caramel, this idea of the mountain of power. I just started thinking about the trip and how amazing it was and people we met. And, and I thought about this one moment where we were in the marketplace and it was one of our free time days where, where Marvin's taken us to, to, so we can just get a feel for the culture. It's like stepping back into the Bible this market. I'm telling you, when the Bible re talks about marketplaces, you feel like you've just stepped back into time. So I'm walking through and just taking it all in and all the food that's being cooked and the smells. It's just, it's amazing. All the spices. And, 
And, and I see this, this, this young adult standing off to the side whose, whose face was terribly deformed. His, his head was, was rounder than what it should be, and the bone structure of his face was pushed out, almost like a mountain that caused his eyes to look out to the side. And in that moment, I felt like I was in the Bible. And I thought if the Apostle Paul was here right now, he would walk over and he would pray for that boy. He wouldn't think about whether or not it would happen or whether or not he was a foreigner in a different place. He, wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he, would, he didn't stop to think about what would, what would the consequences be or they don't speak my language. He would just go and do it. But I didn't because I thought all those things. Thought about at the end of the trip when, when we were at this cafe outside of a restaurant. We're just, we're tired and worn out. All right, well, I was tired and worn out. I don't know about anybody else, right? We, we're at the end of the trip. We've built this bridge. It was an amazing experience. You're just, you're physically and emotionally exhausted. And we're, we're getting this, 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 this meal and, and, and some, some young kid comes up and you can tell he had some type of disorder, some type of, 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 of mental condition. And he came up and was going to beg for us and he was making all these strange noises. And the owner of the restaurant came out so quickly and, and chased him away and in that moment I felt like I was in the Bible I thought if Jesus was here he would have told that shop owner it's okay and he would have prayed for that boy he wouldn't have thought about what are other people going to say I'm tired and hungry I've done enough already I built a bridge isn't that enough for you God right but those are some of the thoughts that I had and so I didn't so this one in here tonight some of you have been for you, but this one's for me. In 1 Kings 18, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but you, many of you are familiar with the story. This is, where, this is where Elijah goes to Mount Carmel, and he has the big showdown with all the prophets of Baal. And they, they prepared this sacrifice, and they're praying all day, and, and Elijah's actually mocking them, which I love that part of the story. Right? It's okay to make fun of people sometimes. And so, so finally when they're worn out, he says, you bring my sacrifice. And, there's, and, and what it's supposed to be, it's a showdown for who worships the true God. And so you know what he does? I, I'm calling for the lighter fluid. He's calling for the water. They just dump water, water. There's a drought. This is another sermon for another time. But other people in that crowd are dying because they've been in a drought. And they're thinking, why is that water being dumped out? Come on. Sometimes the mountain of your assignment is one of sacrifice. And he steps back to pray, and fire comes down, consumes the altar, actually consumes the stone and the dirt that was on the ground. Amazing story. If you've never read it, 1 Kings 18, you should check it out. There are times in our lives where God wants to use us in supernatural ways. And everything inside of us says, God, I can't. And God says to you, I know that you can't. That's why I'm going to do it. I'm just inviting you to be a part of the moment. I believe some of you here tonight, and I'm preaching to myself, because God wants you to believe that you are a candidate to be used by him in supernatural ways. So, Father, for the people that would stand with me tonight and say, God, find me faithful, when I'm in these moments where, where, where people are hurting and their situation is, is desperate, protect us from our selfishness. Protect us from our fear. Protect us from this, this, this horrible desire to hide. God, we know all of those feelings are going to come. You're not going to chase those feelings away. What you say to us is don't let those feelings stop you. Because I know the next time I'm in a situation like that, I'm going to ask all the same questions. I'm going to have all the same fears. My humanity is still going to shrink back because that's what my humanity does. But God, in that moment, let me not lose the battle to myself. And for every person that's here tonight, let them not lose the battle to themselves. When we have an opportunity that we know that is God-ordained, when we have an opportunity, when we know the timing is right, we know, God, that Elijah didn't come up with this big plan on himself. You called him there. You placed him there. God, when you call us there, when you place us there, let it be that we would rush in the same way Elijah rushed in, knowing that if you've called us to that moment of prayer, that there is something that you want to do. 
And even if in that moment it seems as though in the natural that nothing happens, we know that whenever we walk in obedience to you, that you are doing something sometimes in a world that is unseen that is going to bear fruit at a later time. Find us faithful. Find us obedient. And let us be candidates for you. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen. All right, this is my last one. This is olives. This is where we started tonight. It's the mountain of life. In Luke 20, 50 to 52, that's what we just read. It talks about the, the moment of Jesus' ascension. And if you were on the Mount of Olives and you would have turned back towards Jerusalem, just on the other side of the Kidron Valley, this is what you would see. Now, this is a modern-day look. This is what they would have seen, but, but they would have seen something similar. They would have seen a city. They would have seen a town, this crowd of some 500 people, and there's Jesus in his resurrected body about ready to ascend into heaven. And as I was just praying over this part of the service, I knew that we needed to come back to this mountain, just kind of throw it out there in the beginning, but then come back to the Easter narrative at the end. On November 24th of 2014, many of you may maybe the, the, remember that season for me and my family. That's the day that my dad passed. He was 81. And, uh, and he died this past November, the, the week of Thanksgiving. And, and, and our family had the incredible privilege of, of being able to be at his bedside. We got the call on a Saturday uh, just leading up to the service, and we really prayed, felt like we were supposed to stay and preach, and we knew that's probably what Dad would want to do because he was so passionate for the gospel, and so we stayed and prayed. Then we rushed to Richmond, and Vanessa and our kids got to say goodbye, and then they went home. We drove two cars, and we stayed and were part of that bedside vigil like many of you have been just with him every minute of every day. And late on Monday, sometime before 10 p.m., he breathed his last breath. Which, as you know, if you've ever been there, there's this moment where they exhale. And it's just the last time that breath is going to be in their body. And in that moment, my dad found his Mount of Olives, his mountain of life. It was his ascension. Because this shell that we see is not who we are. This shell that we see, it's, it's, this, this isn't what we're about. We're about the immaterial part that we cannot see. It's the part that's eternal. It's the part that's going to live on forever. And in that moment, this was, this was my dad's ascension. He wasn't surrounded by some 500 people and there wasn't all of this praise. But can I just tell you that moment to God was just as important because we are his children too. Now, Jesus is a different kind of child, and if you want to learn more about that, you've got to go to the Jesus class next week that Jim's going to be teaching. All right, a little plug there for you. All of these mountains that we've been talking about, they might be for you, they might not be for you, but this one, it's for all of us. No matter what your story is, no matter where you've been, what you believe, at some point, there's going to be a moment for you just like it was for my dad where you're going to breathe your last breath and you're going to ascend somewhere. I knew where my dad was ascending to. Jesus knew where he was ascending to. But there might be some of you here tonight and you're just not sure. And you might come to that moment where your, your last breath is waiting for you and you would say, Fred, I just, I really don't know what's going to happen in that moment. I brought this cross with me tonight. My dad loved crosses. You saw me wear the wooden one that he wore all the time. That month or so after he died, I preached in it. This is the one. We grew up in the Episcopal Church. This is the one that he wore when he participated in all the services. He did a lot of the readings and things like that. And this is the cross that, that he would always wear. And I have this little common book of prayer that sometimes I, I open up and, and, and read. But all of these things are just outward signs of something that was actually on the inside of him. He wore this cross and the other ones that he had because he wanted the world to know that there was a cross on the inside because there was a decision that he had made at some point in his life to become a devoted follower of Christ, a decision that I made in December of 1990, maybe for some of you tonight that you've not yet made. And so when you think about the moment of your ascension, when you breathe your last and the part of you that is eternal is going to rise, you're thinking, I just don't know where it's going to go. And what I would say to you tonight is that you can 
that you don't have to live another day of your life not sure. You don't have to live another moment of your life not knowing what's waiting for you in that moment. Some people are going to come and help me rearrange up here a little bit because what we're going to do is going to invite the worship team to come back up and we've got a couple of more songs that we're going to do. I know we're off the clock just a tiny bit, but come on, it's Easter. All right, come on. Jesus waited for three days. You can wait three more minutes. You with me? All right, come on. We're going we're gonna to put a table up here in the, in the middle and if you're visiting with us tonight, the way that we do communion or the Lord's Supper, we do it the first weekend of, we do it the first weekend of every month. And so we just love how it, how it fell for us, for this schedule, for this night, for this moment. That, that what we wanted to do is we wanted to put a center table here. And in a minute, I'm going to put a, a tray of juice and a tray of bread on, on this table. And, and if, and if you're, you're here tonight, if you're here tonight and you would say, Fred, I, I'm not sure when I breathe my last where I'm going then I want you to come to this table. And this table is going to be your mountain that you're going to climb tonight. And it's going to be your way of saying, Jesus, I'm going to live for you for the rest of my life. I believe that you died for me, that you rose for me, that you have a plan for me. And I want to know tonight, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that when I breathe my last, that I am going to rise to heaven just like you did. If you've made that choice before, then these tables are for you, all right? The line's going to be long. This isn't the overflow table. You tracking with me? This table is for the person tonight who would say, I want to give my heart to Jesus. And if you come to this table and you take that piece of bread and you take that cup, there's going to be some people in each of these back corners for you tonight. They're going to be there to pray for you. There's a book that we want to give you tonight as a gift that you're going to be able to take with you. It's called the New Believer's Handbook. If you live in this area, I hope you come back and do this class with us over the next few weeks called the the Jesus Class. It might be that you're here tonight and you've made a decision for Christ at some point in your life, but you've walked away from that decision and it's time for you to make it all over again. This, this is your table. It's not easy to climb up a mountain. I think that's why God did so many great things on top of mountains, because he wanted us to know it's going to cost you something. Father, we just pray for this moment tonight. We pray for, for the people that are, that are here tonight, and it might be that they've stood for some of the other mountains that, that we've been climbing together, but this is the mountain that's more important than all the rest. That this is the mountain that... that that it's really going to determine their future. It's the mountain that's going to determine their forever. It's the mountain that's going to make the difference of life and death. That it's the mountain, God, of an invitation in a deep way and in a special way, in a profound way. It's a, it's a mountain, God, that's going to give them peace. To know that When they get to that final moment of time, when they get to that final resting place, maybe they get to a place where it's going to be like a bedside vigil like it was for my dad and for my family, that there's not going to be any angst in their heart. There's not going to be any fear in their soul because they knew that on some April Saturday night in 2015, they found their way into this church called City Life, and they took a piece of bread that represents the body of Jesus, and they took that cup that represents his blood, and they ate that bread, and they drank that cup, and it was their way of saying, Jesus, I'm going to live for you, and that when I die, I'm coming home to be where you are. You stand, let's worship together. As you feel led, you come to the table that God would lead you to. The life you gave, your body was broken, your love poured out, you bled and you died. For me, there on the cross, you breathed your last as you were crucified. You gave it all for me, and 
people say Thank you, 
We thank you for the cross. Your blood was shed at the cross. We thank you for the cross. Where I first saw the light, oh God. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross. read you this verse and then we're going to do one more song to close this Easter weekend. This comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. Nay, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. So, Father, in this moment of celebration that is going to become the capstone of this Easter service for us in 2015, we say to you tonight, we trust you. With all of our life, with all of our future, with every circumstance and every situation, both near and far, for the destiny that you have, for the part that you've shown us, and for the part that you haven't, we say to you tonight, we believe that you are faithful. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.